and really a lot of different places. I, I just I kept thinking about the idea that if I didn't work a job that I love and a job that I, you know, I've worked really hard to get this job, and I really genuinely do feel like there's an appreciation that I have for being in this chair. I don't take it for granted. I really do. I work my ass off in trying to make sure that I can do everything I can to make sure that on any given night we have good nights talking with you guys and everything goes off without a problem, right? But I was thinking, I'm like, if I had a normal, and I say normal because this is not a normal job. Like, it's always funny anytime I go out to... Uh, you know, like, uh, birthday parties for one-year-olds, cause that's what, that's the neighborhood of things I'm in right now, cause I have a one-year-old and we go to all these birthday parties and you meet all the other dads and it's like, well, what do you do? And then like they're, they're talking about their jobs and then it's like, oh, so wait, when, when do you start your job? And I'm like, well, you know, I start all throughout the day and then I get to work at about, you know, 4.30 or 5 and then I, I talk on the radio until midnight is what I do. And it's like, oh yeah, that's, that's a little different. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is a little different. Um, and I always, I always think to myself, what would my life be like if I worked just a, a normal nine to five? If I just had a normal nine to five job where it was like water cooler conversation was the highlight. Maybe I got to listen to radio while I do the job, but, but I hate every minute of it. And I just dread and I, and I live for the weekend and it's truly just a paycheck to paycheck type thing. And I'm not, it's not a career. I mean, I might spend 30 years there, but it's not a career. It's not something I'm, I'm passionate about or feel good about. I always think about what type of employee I would be if that was the case. Cause in this job, I tend to think I'm a pretty good employee. And I'm saying that because I, I was thinking about what a nice day it is today. And there was a part of me that in the back of my brain, I was like, Oh, well, if I were to ever play hooky, and I never have. I never played hooky when it came to school unless it was opening days. For opening days, I got to play hooky. But it was funny because everyone in my family would play hooky as well. And my mom would call up and be like, yep, Jonathan, Sam, David, and Sarah all under the weather today. I don't know what's going on. I had three siblings, right? I don't know what's going on. They all caught something every single opening day. It's like, okay, we know exactly what's going on. I'm not a, I'm not a play hooky type guy. But the fact that I love golf so much these days... If I worked a normal nine to five job, today would have been the day that I played hooky. Today would 100% have been the day that I just, I called in. <coughs> I got the, uh, I, oh, I got the norovirus that's been going around. I'm convinced like a week and a half ago, I got the norovirus because I, I just, I was throwing up everywhere and it was just awful. And for 24 hours, I felt like death. And now you see all the reports that norovirus is just everywhere. Maybe that's what I had. I'm pretty confident it's probably what I had. I would just say I had that. Yeah, I'm not feeling that good thinking i'm like I, you know i'm not doing that obviously with this show we had andrew barry talk today we have a Cavs game with kyrie irving and the mavs in town like today's a primo day to be talking with you guys on the radio but anybody that's out there that let today come and go and didn't consider playing hooky i just maybe maybe the day didn't hit you the right way for me it's all i kept thinking about though like the idea that if i worked a normal job i would 100 percent have called in and now i'm the type of employee and if I were to have called in sick and said I just was feeling under the weather, nobody would have suspected anything because I'm not that type of person that ever calls in sick. In fact, we had an HR guy here a couple of years ago, and I came into his office, and I asked him for a favor. And he pulled up my my sick days right then and there, and he goes, okay, yeah, it's been – at that time, it had been six years since I'd been working here. I've been here for almost eight, right? Maybe it was like five and a half years, five years. He goes, in five years, you've, you've had uh, two sick days the entire time. So, okay, 
we'll give you the benefit of the doubt, and I'll, I'll look this up for you, and I'll do this just because you're never sick, and you never take sick days. Now, in the previous month and a half, I think I've been more sick than I've ever been in my life, to be honest, but that's part of having a young child and that norovirus that's going around. The long way of saying today was a beautiful day out there, and I hope you guys took advantage of it, and I hope you guys got out there, got to hit some golf balls, got to go on a walk around the park, whatever, whatever it is you got to do, because you can, I can tell that just for myself personally, just being outside does a world of good for me. I, I can't wait for this weekend. I did not book a tea time yet. That's going to be on tomorrow's agenda, but I'm going to go Saturday. We're getting out for the first round. Jacks. Jax is Jax is now into golf. I got to tell you, Jax, now is the time. You book the tee times. I'm giving you the green light. This weekend is the first weekend of golf in Cleveland. I'm going to Boston this weekend. I can't. You son of a... You're going to Boston? Yeah. Are you going to at least golf in Boston? No. Tell your dad. I know why you're going to Boston. Tell yeah. your dad you need to be golfing out there in Boston. This is You're missing the first week of golf in Cleveland. This is better than... I, and it might not be a better weekend on the calendar for me than the first weekend of golf in Cleveland. So anyway, we're getting excited. We got a lot of things uh, planned for you guys tonight, though, and a lot of things on the docket. We got uh, Fan Focus at 9 o'clock. We got Off the Beaten Path. We have a Cavs game to react to. Cavs versus the Mavs. You know, who was it the other day? Was it J.J. Redick? Might have been J.J. Redick. That was just complaining about the NBA not starting anything on time. Isn't this game supposed to start at 7 o'clock? It was supposed to start at 7, and right now they're doing the intros with Darius Garland on the court and everything like that. Why is it NBA games cannot stick to a schedule to save their life? It is maddening to me. They never start these things on time. They never have anything planned out the right way. They just go at whenever they feel like it. It's it's crazy town to me. Sometimes you get these national games tip off at 7 o'clock, and they tip off at like 7.40. You're like, what happened? How are you 40 minutes late? They're two-hour, 15-minute games, and you're going to be 40 minutes late? Wild to me. So hopefully they get going underway in just a little bit. Again, we'll react to all that, and we'll keep you posted through the updates with Jake the entire way. So if you want to listen to some Browns conversations and then just listen to uh, Jake give off the updates every 20 minutes, that'll be more than more than satisfactory. I promise you, you won't miss a, you won't miss a thing. Where I'm going to start with you guys is the conversation of the day with Nick Chubb. And a lot of attention has been placed on the words from Andrew Barry about the running back spot. I, I genuinely think they're going to go with Pierre Strong and Jerome Ford, and then when Chubb comes back, they're going to go with Chubb. I think that's the route they're going to go. I just don't think they're sweating it. I think they feel like they have a good offensive line, and I think A.B. was being honest when he says, for most players not named Nick Chubb, the scheme and the line does the heavy lifting when it comes to what a running back can accomplish. But I, I kept thinking about the, the big picture and where the run game is going and, and how the run game mattered this postseason and then seeing how it didn't really change the perception for the running backs that aren't on a rookie deal. Saquon, Josh Jacobs, Tony Pollard, Austin Eckler, Derrick Henry, that is a who's who of running backs in the NFL. It is also known as five running backs that weren't franchise tagged this offseason as the game moves even further away from the idea that paying a running back is a thing. Christian McCaffrey gets paid because he can do more than just be a running back. He's the exception to the rule. The NFL is telling you, follow the money. You know, People suggested over the weekend Justin Jefferson, the wide receiver for the Vikings, could make as much as $34 million on a contract if he got traded tomorrow. Trade him and then you sign him to an extension, give him the money that he wants, $34 million a year. That is twice as much as the highest-paid running back. Follow the money. Best receiver in the game, making twice as much as the best running back in the game, tells you everything you need to know. 
But I do think the running back position is valuable. And I feel like the running back position has had a little bit of a renaissance based off of this last postseason. But it comes with a caveat. The Lions don't make the NFC title game without Jameer Gibbs. A guy that got taken in the first round and the Lions got dragged through the streets because of it. But the rookie contract is what makes it really work. He was awesome. So was Pacheco in the postseason as well for Kansas City. Pacheco was great. Jameer Gibbs was great. Christian McCaffrey was great. When you looked around at the the final teams in the AFC title game and the NFC title game, it was Jameer Gibbs and Christian McCaffrey, two premier backs in their own right. McCaffrey, obviously, at the complete top of the class. And Jameer Gibbs, in what he did this postseason, was absolutely incredible. And on the other side of it, Pacheco actually had the most yards going into the AFC title game than any running back on either side, mixed with Lamar Jackson and a run game in Baltimore that clearly shows you they know how to do work on the ground. Now, using Lamar in that is a little bit of a it's a little bit of a cheat by me, and that's fine. I'll admit that. But the run game had importance, and I think it's trying to figure out: can you get away with having? a less-than-star-studded running back room. I think you can, but I think drafting a running back and being able to hit on a running back on a rookie contract is one of the most important things you can have right now. And again, there's other ways to do it. 49ers can spend on Christian McCaffrey because they're not spending as much on Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy's on his rookie rookie contract as a quarterback. You have to spend as much. But look at Pacheco, look at Jameer Gibbs, and look and see how the NFL is moving the conversation. It's not that running backs don't matter. It's that running backs, when you pay them $12, $14, 16000000 million, become much different than running backs that you're paying $1 million a year to. It's about being on your rookie deal, but we can make that case for just about every position out there. I mentioned Justin Jefferson. Justin Jefferson making $34 million a year. Would you rather trade a first-round pick plus while also giving a wide receiver $34 million a year? Or would you rather say, you know what, I'm going to throw a dart at a dartboard and one of the five wide receivers that are going to be taken in the first round. I saw a projection the other day, as many as seven in the first round, and had three taken off in the first ten picks. And maybe we take one of those guys. Maybe we see what happens there. So many different ways to do this. And so the Nick Chubb conversation becomes fascinating because it's an acknowledgement by Andrew Barry that special running backs do make a difference. We're talking about the special ones, Barkley, Jacobs, Pollard, Eckler, Henry, all these special running backs that didn't get franchise tagged. These special running backs make a difference. But how much of it are you willing to eat? How much of it are you willing to say, I need to make the run game matter at this price? So here was Andrew Barry earlier today at the NFL Combine, talking to the media, and the big story of the day, him addressing uh, Nick Chubb and, and really the conversations that haven't gone as far as either side would like, I would imagine. You know, we were pleased with how the run game turned out throughout the year. Obviously, Nick's, you know, one in a million, and, and maybe he's one in a billion, actually. And so we're not going to get the, you know, consistent explosive runs that you get with the best back in football. But we also do firmly believe that the run game is predominantly predicated on the strength of the offensive line and then, you know, the actual scheme. Obviously, when you have a difference maker like Nick and someone who can create at the level that he can, he can truly elevate, you know, that area of the game. You know, but we did have to learn to run without him, and, you know, we were able to do it, you know, effectively enough, but obviously Nick is a difference maker. I mean, I go back to the line that Wyatt Teller had during the regular season, and that's what Andrew Barry was getting at. Wyatt Teller, I'll, I'll never forget it. I probably should forget it, but I'll never forget it. 
Wyatt Teller almost got mad in the press conference when they asked him about how Jerome Ford was able to run and have some of the the big-time runs that he had. He was like, when you give him the amount of room of a car to run through, anybody's going to look good. He's like, oh, oh, he got mad there. He doesn't he doesn't think Jerome Ford's as good as everyone's trying to make Jerome Ford be. He wanted some credit. And listen, that offensive line has deserved credit in the Nick Chubb conversation. For five years, we've made Nick Chubb one of the best running backs in the game. And, and in a lot of ways, yes, Nick Chubb is very special. But as Andrew Barry pointed out there, we've also had a premier offensive line. And I don't think the offensive line has gotten nearly the credit in that discussion. And that's what makes Jerome Ford... So interesting to me moving forward. And really the running game so interesting as well. Two one six four seven four to below ninety two. You heard from Andrew Barry though. Should the Browns be drafting a running back? Should we be trying to spend one of our draft capital picks on a running back? Or do we just run it back, pay Nick Chubb whatever Nick Chubb wants, and keep this thing moving? Two one six four seven four to below ninety two. We'll get to more from Andrew Barry, also more on the backup quarterback discussion as well. I have a Zadarius Smith theory I need to get off my chest and a ton to get into. It's overtime. With John at the Bitter one here with you on the fan. The percentage odds of Nick Chubb being back with the Browns, I, I'm not as high as maybe some other people. I think Nick put it at 5%. I'd make it at about 20%. Because I do find, I, I see the landmines. As much as I go, as much as I went through and displayed all the needs and all the, the good running backs that were in the NFC and AFC title games, I see the landmines that are here for the Browns because the Browns have a situation very similar to the situation that you're seeing in New York with Saquon Barkley or with Josh Jacobs or Tony Pollard or Austin Eckler or Derrick Henry or all these other backs that are looking to get paid a big amount of money and are looking to get the bag, and all these teams are just like, thanks but no thanks. We'll go younger. And if it means we have something that isn't as special, we understand. I do think there is the element here where... I think this is a bad thing, by the way. I don't think this is a good thing. And I, I, I hope Andrew Barry is not this type of GM. I don't think he is. I really don't. And if he learned everything from Howie Roseman, a, a guy that earlier today he, he referred to as the best GM in all football, then I, I don't actually believe that he thinks this way because Howie Roseman definitely doesn't think this way. I don't think he's the type of GM that is going to try to win over the fan base by making moves that he doesn't feel actually helps the team. Now, we can debate whether or not you feel like Nick Chubb helps the team or not moving forward. I think he does. But there is the recognition that you'll have a running back that won't start for at least, what, the first four or five games of the season? I heard Daryl the other day. Daryl suggested he won't start until week nine of the season. Week nine. You're going to miss half of the season? a lot of money for somebody that's going to miss half the season. I would imagine they would restructure it and they would try to change so both sides could get on the same page financially. But I, he doesn't have to do the fan base any favors here. He really doesn't. I know we want Nick Chubb back. I know Nick Chubb means something to this fan base, but I wonder what he means to someone like Andrew Barry. I don't think he would do it just because he feels like it would win him some votes. within. The, this isn't European soccer. You know European soccer where they like vote on the GM? Every, I think it's every two or four years, they do a vote on the GM. And it, um, legitimately, it's like you're going to the polls and you're voting on your mayor. It's the same thing they do for, like, soccer GMs in European countries. And they go to the polls and they're like, do we like this guy? Do we not like this guy? They don't have that here. He doesn't have to genuflect at the altar of the fan base. He just gets to make decisions he thinks helps out the team. 
Two one six four seven four to below ninety two. But hearing him, I think he believes that Nick Chubb still has a lot left to give. Ryan in Virginia Beach going to lead us off here on the fan. What's up, Ryan? Peter and man, great conversation. Just want to chime in on your uh, your scenario of what you feel might happen. Well, hold on, hold on. What, what, now you're in Virginia Beach. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to say which company to work for, but they're already rich enough. But yeah, they have about 300 locations across the country. So okay. They have the last last we checked in, you were building Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas. Now you're in now you're in Virginia Beach. <laughs> no, I built that in 2017, 18. Wow. Uh, Allegiant Stadium. Yeah. But anyway, man, enough about me. I love to talk about the Brownies, way more fun stuff. Um, yeah, but again, um, I'm all about winning. Obviously, again, I would love a great story in which a uh, player of his caliber, obviously uh, not just his capability in the field, but just his his personality, just an awesome guy from everyone's perspective. He's not uh, me, myself, and I mentality. He he just thinks differently. He, had, he ran out of bounds the one game to not get a touchdown. I mean, just, just unique things that he is that elite not only caliber player in the field, but his psychological chemistry, you know, not a cancer in the locker room. Again, with all this being said, Jonathan, my end game is winning, winning, winning. And no way should perform by saying get a bunch of bad guys in the field. But, again, I want to win. And a lot of Browns fans do, too. And a lot of wins, ill, all that else ails, uh, they can put on the back burner. With, with uh, putting too much on the offensive line price tag and, obviously, running backs, it takes away from other needs. I'm not saying a running back is not a need, but this is – by committee now in the NFL, um, we see you know a plethora of great offensive linemen can and will continue to open up holes for for average running backs. And you see really solid running backs in yesteryears, like a Barry Sanders or whomever, won't get the you know won't see the light of day in his offensive line. It's just it's just the chicken of the egg, Jonathan, with offensive line running backs. Who's really game changing and who's really doing what's needed? But with that being said, um, I just want to say um, I would love to have him back. Okay, that's first and foremost. But at what cost? And I don't know if Barry has a biased perspective on Chubb. I know he has a biased perspective on Ivy League kids and Northwestern kids and <laughs> things like that. He's, he's, he's just an intellectual, and he does have that nature to him. So if you want a biased perspective from Barry, uh, he really likes that stuff. He's interested in more Stanford. Northwestern. Are, are you saying Georgia isn't intelligent enough for you, Ryan? Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> George is great. Every unique series is great. I'm really saying Barry in particular coincided with this, this, you know, meshing out, you know, what to do with Chubb. Chubb is phenomenal, but his knee injury and what cost and just, I want to win games, Jonathan, man. And I want a, a plethora of talent in the field. And last thing I, I promise you, I'm talking a lot. I just want players, personnel, backups, starters around the 22 starters. Because, again, we saw this last year. Yeah. Uh, so many injuries can occur and will continue. So spread well, and, that money and out. And the weird part better. is that you're starting off, and thank you, Ryan. I do appreciate you as always. Uh, you know, No matter what vague stuff you're doing in Virginia Beach, we appreciate your Browns thoughts. I, what, what's fascinating is that you're starting if – you, if you go back with Nick Chubb, you're starting the season as if he's injured because he'll be on the IR. He'll be recovering from an injury, but it's like he is injured. And I don't know. I mean, again, if it's eight games that he misses, is if it's six games that he misses, we don't know what that number is going to be. I tend to think he's superhuman. So I'm going to, I'm going to go on the conservative side and maybe say it's five or six weeks. It's just a guess, though. I got no more insight on that than anybody. It's just a guess, five or six weeks. Now, and maybe that ends up being a blessing in disguise, too. We can look at it both ways, but I think this, this Browns team has to start off the season hot. I, I think it's important that you get Deshaun Watson in a good rhythm and a good rhythm early. And for the first five or six weeks, we're not like, well, wait till Nick Chubb gets back. But there is an advantage, I do believe, in the idea 
that you have a running back or you have a situation where you have a running back that doesn't have 17 games on the tires, so to speak, where he's not playing the entire season and he kind of gets to ease into the regular season and the, and the, the, what should be the hard part of the regular season, the back end of the regular season. It kind of reminds me of Gronk in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers years. Gronk would, he'd miss the first eight, nine weeks of the season and then he'd come out week 10 and you'd be like, why is he so much faster than everyone? Why, why is he not hurt? Why is he not injured? Oh, it's because he spent the first seven weeks in Cabo. Okay, great. It's because he, he, he didn't do training camp. He was on a beach. Yeah, it makes sense as to why he's doing all right. Now, the other part that Ryan talked about that I need to get to is the idea that the offensive line is the chicken or the egg here. We have not gone down this road. And I'm fascinated tonight, by the way, because I'm getting some tweets in here. We'll read some of those coming up in a second. Twitter reactions brought to you by our friends at Chubb and Jewelers, Cleveland's premier jewelry store. It's kind of funny, like over the weekend I did a, a whole bit on Kayla Williams and Justin Fields, and I was shocked at the amount of people that wanted to just trash Kayla Williams. I'm kind of surprised at the amount of tweets, and the and just even Ryan right there through the phone lines, that is like, yeah, you know, if it's what it has to be, then I guess it's what it has to be. I assume that we'd be rioting if Nick Chubb ended up somewhere that isn't Cleveland. But the perception I'm having out of you guys, and tell me if I'm right or wrong here, 216474 to below 92, is it really is a trust in Andrew Barry to make sure that he gets this position right. And that at least he gives the offense a chance with or without Nick Chubb, where I thought, and maybe even as recently as a week or two ago, that Nick Chubb leaving would be the worst thing. I don't know what's changed. I'd love to know what's changed, and I think maybe, just maybe, some of the conversations that are being had around the the Barclays, the Jacobs, the Pollards, the Ecklers, the Henrys of the world might be seeping into our Nick Chubb discourse as well. But the chicken or the egg thing is fascinating to me because it's something we just have not. it's, It's the third rail of the conversation that we just refuse to address when it comes to Nick Chubb because we're just so, we're constantly just, all is good with Nick Chubb. He's one of the best backs we've ever seen. He's so great. And it just fails to give any sense of credit to an offensive line that in the Nick Chubb era has been one of the best in football. I mean, who's had a better offensive line every year, year in, year out for the previous five years? Only team I can think of is the Dallas Cowboys. I would think it goes Dallas Cowboys one, Cleveland Browns number two. That's the rarefied air we're in when we're talking about these offensive lines and how good they've been. And you heard it from Andrew Barry right there. Andrew Barry believes the run game is a product of scheme and your offensive line, which, by the way, directly goes in line with what today's analytics tells you about the run game as well. And the, uh, the, you know, the people that are smarter than me when it comes to all these advanced numbers and how we deal with the sport on a, on a macro level. I'll tell you the same thing when it comes to the run game. You are a product of the line. You are a product of the scheme. You are a product of your environment when you are a running back more than any other position we have. I do think, and I've given credit to Nick Chubb on the idea that I think there are certain running backs that are so good that you transcend that. Right? You're so good that it doesn't matter what your offensive line looks like, doesn't matter really what your scheme is, doesn't matter if you have the best or the worst, you're going to find a way to get yours. But those guys are few and far between. They are special, special, and Nick Chubb is special, special. But I don't know what he's going to be after this knee injury. Is it 85% Nick? Is it 80% Nick? 
these are the type of things the Browns have to ask themselves. Two one six four seven four to below ninety two. More from Andrew Barry on Nick Chubb. This was him today at the combine again in Indy. I understand that you know Nick is a you know a popular discussion point. I meant what I said about him at the end of the season. You know any conversations that we have with him or his reps, honestly, will stay between us. If anything were to change with the status, you know you guys would be the first to know when that does happen. He's done a great job. Yeah, you guys know Nick. He works his tail off. He does everything in his power to to make sure that he can recover as quickly as possible. It still is very early, and we're what six months away from training camp. So to say anything more definitively than I did in the middle of January. It would really, it would probably be inaccurate. Now, what I thought was interesting is he he kept referring, and he did it twice right there. He kept referring to what he already said about Nick Chubb. Why don't you just say it again? I think what happened is that in the middle of January, when he addressed the media. He went so hard in the paint in support of Nick Chubb, and I feel like that was him trying to put pressure on Nick Chubb. All right. We're going to try to restructure. We're going to get you at the, at the at the bargaining table. And if you don't want to, every fan out there knows we did our very best to try to make sure that you remain a Cleveland Brown. It's you being a greedy player. It's you, it's you wanting more money. And listen, I personally will never begrudge a player for wanting more money and taking every single dollar, even if that means breaking some team loyalty. I, fine, whatever. Go get yours. You only have, if you're a running back, what do you got, seven, eight years to make all the money you can make, and to make sure that your kids' kids drive Lamborghinis, go out there and get your money, Nick Chubb. What goes to your agents? What goes to the tax man, Uncle Sam? Well, you, you go out there and make as much money as you possibly can. I think that was Andrew Barry setting everyone up. Like, I'm going to go hard in support of Nick Chubb. I'm going to say I want Nick Chubb to be here, and we're going to do everything we can to keep him here. Then why didn't you say it again today? Why did you refer back to your comments? Is it because you just didn't want to repeat them? Why didn't you want to repeat him? Why, why are you referring back to something that happened a month ago? I wonder if he just felt like he didn't have to put the pressure on Nick Chubb anymore. Two one six four seven four to below 92. And I would take that as a positive, if anything. Because you put pressure on guys when you feel like it's not going to go your way. When you feel like it's going to go your way, you don't need as much pressure. Public pressure, that is. I just don't think he wanted to fan the flames there. Two one six four seven four to below ninety two. More from Andrew Barry when we come on back as he was at the combine. Uh, should the Browns be drafting a running back? Should we be looking elsewhere when it comes to the Nick Chubb conversation? I don't think he's going anywhere. But what Andrew Barry said today and that first part about talking about the scheme and the offensive line told me something is how Andrew Barry at least views the running back position and how how much it's changed. It's overtime with Jonathan Peterman here with you on the fan. Tell Howie Roseman operates in Philadelphia. It's how they operated when it came to Brian Callahan and Bill Callahan and that whole situation and letting him go, you know, coach under his son in Tennessee. I feel like they're fair. But just because I feel like you're fair doesn't mean you have to get pushed over. There's a difference there. I don't think Andrew Barry would be being pushed over here, but I know we can't go into the season offering Nick Chubb the $14 million that he's set to make. There's got to be a contract restructuring that happens. It's just whether or not Nick Chubb feels like the open market can give him more than whatever the Browns are going to offer him. And I, listen, I as much as I love Nick Chubb, and I really do think he's valuable, go look at what happened with Dalvin Cook, and you tell me how you think it's going to go. That's what I would say. If I was, in, if I was Andrew Barry... And I had to go ahead and present it like it was a, I'm not going to use PowerPoint presentation because I know we're sensitive about those things here in Cleveland. But if I was going to try to make a case for why Nick Chubb 
should just sign with the Browns, stay in the good spot that he's in, and not really ruffle the feathers at all, I would say go look at Dalvin Cook. Because Dalvin Cook was the Nick Chubb doppelganger for many years as far as an NFL production standpoint was concerned. For the uh, previous four years, from 2019 to 2022, they were within one scoring touchdown of each other. They each they both put up, I think it was like four straight 1,000-yard seasons. Might have even been four straight 1,100-yard seasons between the two of them. They were neck and neck when it came to the type of production that they had. Dalvin Cook turns 28. He goes off to the Jets. And, I mean, let's be honest, he, he just he disappeared. He disappeared, and he was basically removed from the face of the NFL running back situation. I would say, Nick, want to go try it on your own? Why not behind a bunch of bowling uh, balls and a bunch of, uh, uh, really just a bunch of turnstiles? And that's what the Jets' offensive line was. That's why... Mission number one this offseason for the Jets is to protect Aaron Rodgers and to try to beef up that offensive line. That was the number one problem I had with the Jets last season. They enter that year with question marks everywhere over that offensive line, and it was a disaster. The, the advantage that Nick Chubb has if he stays in Cleveland is that the offensive line is going to be good. Will it be as good as it's been for the previous five years? Maybe not. Maybe it takes a little bit of a step back. Maybe. But I promise you, Wyatt Teller, Jack Conklin, if he does start, we'll find out what happens between Conklin, Dewan Jones, and Jedrick Wills. And then on the other side of it with Petonio and Postic, like I, I promise you, he's going to be in a better situation than he would be on another team. And so maybe he's got to sign for $6 million, $7 million, something like that, but it'll keep his value up, and it'll keep the idea that Nick Chubb is special up as well. Because right now, Nick Chubb, is perceived to be in that Derrick Henry category, the, the the type of running back that it feels like they can succeed anywhere. But the reality is is that he's been blessed with a really good offensive line the entirety of his NFL career. And if we're just being truthful about it, watch what happened with Dalvin Cook and see how easily this can all take a turn. Dalvin Cook went from the Jets to then being with the Ravens, and he wasn't even used in Baltimore. 216-474 to below 92. Joe and Lakewood up next. What's up, Joe? Hey, Jonathan. How you doing? Hey, Joe. What's up, man? Hey, uh, listen, I'm a huge Nick Chubb fan, so I am a bit biased, man. But I got to tell you, um, the thing about Nick Chubb is that he he not only brings it in terms of, and you've talked about this, in terms of production on the field, great. And I understand the argument, the chicken and the egg, you know, is it the offensive line? Is it Nick Chubb? All of that. But, at the end of the day, like, this is a guy that rallies the fan base. I mean, you, as a, as a, as a you know, semi-beat reporter for... Oh, the no, Browns, I'm not even semi-beat reporter. Right? No, I'm not... I mean, I, but, like, I, no, you, I, you, you follow him, you follow him intently. Um, well, you know, I mean, are you at most so, home games, or you watch all the games? You saw how the, the fan base responded when he walked, he limped, out and smash that guitar there at the end of the season. Yep. You 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 get rid of that guy and his last play in Cleveland is that he had his knee blown up on the three yard line in Pittsburgh. That's gonna be a demoralizing thing for the fan base. I mean walking into the stadium on Sundays for home games, you see more chub jerseys than anything else. This is a guy that dads want their sons to emulate. They say, this is a guy that you need to watch because this is how you should play football. So regardless of all the things on the field, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, the reason why the NFL exists is for the fans. And this guy, 
he is a guy that people really, really rally around and really admire. And I think that if you make his last play of the game of his career here in Cleveland, that play on the three yard line in Pittsburgh, I think that's a really, really bad thing to have happen. You know, I know everybody wants to win and all of that, but come on, man, that's going to be a demoralizing blow to the fan base, to that locker room. Mm-hmm. Even if he shows up and isn't even able to produce, you know, that's that's horrible, man. I, that's all I feel. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Joe. I do appreciate you. I hear the passion in your voice. And, and listen, I, I do think it sends a message to other people around the league if they get to a situation where Nick Chubb isn't able to come back from the surgery and really do it the right way, the perceived right way, get like basically a second chance, his NFL second chance. But this isn't a charity. It's not a charity. This is the NFL. You can't put your emotions ahead of what's best for the team. Now, I tend to think that Nick Chubb is best for the team. That's why I think something's going to get done. Even if he's 80% or 85% Nick Chubb, because let's be honest, I don't know that we're ever going to have 100% of Nick Chubb ever again because the injuries are just, it's just too much. It's very hard to come back from that injury. And he's had a multitude of injuries in his career, but it's very hard to come back from that injury. And again, they said the same thing with that injury he had in Georgia, and he came back better than ever. But he was also six years younger when that happened, and he had a more of an opportunity to come back. So I, I don't know. I tend to believe he's special enough that he can get there. But if he's 80 to 85%, he's still better than Jerome Ford. He's still better than what they have regardless. So I, I think something's going to get done. I really, truly do. But I, I, I also think we shouldn't put our emotions at the forefront of this one either. Because it's not a charity. You do have to consider every part of this equation. And I know it's a delicate balance. We all know it's a delicate balance. But what's doing right by the Browns has got to be the forefront of the conversation. I agree. I mean, I, I go on these tailgates. I see, I see all the fan bases, or sorry, all the, the fans, excuse me, with these tailgates and all the, the Nick, Nick Chubb jerseys are the most popular jersey out there. Now, I wonder if that's going to be replaced by Miles Garrett jerseys. I think that might be a reality for this upcoming season, but I, I see it. And oh, by the way, him calling me a, a, a semi-beat reporter is just not, I mean, I, it's a, I think that's a compliment. I'm not sure. I'm the furthest thing from a beat reporter. I'm just a sports talk radio host. I just get to, I get to flap my gums. I get to make comments and then that's, that's it. I think maybe in my younger days, you could have maybe said I was a, I'm 34. I say my younger days, like I'm like 74. Uh, I'm 34, but my younger days of being here in Cleveland, maybe you could have made a semi argument when I was going to all the different events as often as I can and I was spending time in the locker rooms and doing all that. Maybe you could have had a better argument then that I was like a semi-beat reporter when I went to every single game and went to the locker rooms after every single game. I don't do as much of that now. I got a one-year-old. I got a house. I got a mortgage. I got a wife. I got things I have to do uh, that aren't hanging around Cleveland Brown Stadium when it's not really a requirement of my job. I go to I go to Berea, though. We hang out there because that's where all the good gossip is. Little fun fact, you get all the good gossip during training camp and hanging out in Berea during the week and stuff like that way more than you ever get during game days. Way more. But no, I would not call myself a beat reporter by any measurement. That's like when people are like, oh, you're a journalist. Be better. I'm not a journalist. The hell I'm a journalist. I'm not a journalist. I give opinions on the radio. Now, I went to school and I got a journalism degree. So I have that bag. I have that club in my bag, right? Like I have the ability to be a journalist, to put the big J cap on. Ooh, I haven't done that in a very long time, though. And I have no intentions of doing that either. 216 92 that guy in Cleveland has kind of waffled back and forth on his takes here, and I find it fascinating. 
On one side, he says he doesn't think he's going to play at the same level that we're used to, and it seems less likely after that injury. He loves the guy, but we got to consider getting a younger blood to step up eventually. And then on the other side, he says even if they do draft, sign, or trade another running back, I would still want Chubb in Cleveland, even if it is to mentor the players. I don't need a $6 million rah-rah Tony Robbins. I, I love him. I love the fact that your kid can idolize Nick Chubb. He is perfect in the community. He has he doesn't have as much of a jaywalking ticket in his life. I love that about Nick Chubb. I'm not paying six or seven million dollars for somebody to be a, a, a pom pom waving cheerleader, though. I, I'm sorry. I can I can find other people. Hell, I'll pay the real Tony Robbins to come in and give motivational speeches. What does that cost every week? I, mean, I, just, I just I don't need it. I don't need it. That's not what he would be here for. And, and I think that's that is borderline insulting to Nick Chubb. I don't mean this by you, that guy in Cleveland. I just mean the general idea that he would come back to basically be a rah-rah guy and get the team in good spirits and to be a good leader. That is borderline insulting to a player that has been so good in the NFL for so long. I just feel like he deserves a little bit better than that. I don't know. I mean, if I had a 25, 30-year sports radio career and I got to the highest of the highs, let's say I'm a Colin Coward or something, and then all of a sudden... I'm looking around and I'm like, ah, oh, man, people, people think I lost my fastball. This isn't good. I don't like where this is headed. People, people don't think I can do this the same way that I used to. I don't know that I love this, but oh, hey, a place, a sports station in Omaha is offering me a consulting gig. Am I going to be happy with that? No, I'm going to be like, what the hell? I can't even host in Omaha now. I'm a, I'm a consultant. That's basically what's going on here. Like, no, Nick Chubb deserves better than that. And even if he goes off to another team, which I don't think is going to happen, but even if he goes off to another team and he ends up having the Dalvin Cook treatment where he goes to a team that's got a bad offensive line, it doesn't go well, they end up cutting him, and then he signs with another team and they basically just stash him on the bench so nobody else could have picked him up, even if it goes down that way, at least he got to go out in his own terms and at least he got to give it a go and an attempt and he gets to find out what he can do without a really good offensive line. You, you owe him that. If you're going to have him here, if, if you're Andrew Barry and you're going to have him here and you're even splitting carries with Jerome Ford or even entertaining the idea that he's not getting the boatload of carries, something's gone wrong. So you pay him the six, seven, eight million dollars, whatever it ends up being, but you do so with the idea that he's going to have a real fair shot when he comes off the IR and he's there if that's week six, week seven, week eight, and he's going to be your starting running back and he's going to be a good compliment to Deshaun Watson. That's what you got to do. All right, two one six four seven four to below ninety two. We come on back. I'm in the advice business now. I'll explain what I mean there. And also, I just don't understand the combine and the allure of it. Do you guys buy into the combine at all? And more from Andrew Barry and what he had to say at the combine as well. It's overtime with Jonathan Peterson here with you on the fan. 